What up everyone, this is the Twice Over Film Club and I'm your host Faraz. Today is our discussion on Inside Man. Hopefully you've had the chance to watch by now because this episode contains spoilers. Other films on the list, we previewed No Country for Old Men this past Monday. Make sure you get that watch in by next Thursday when we release our discussion on it. That's available on Stars for streaming if you have access to that. This upcoming Monday we'll be previewing Vivarium, a listener suggested film. If you want to suggest a film for the club to watch, Hit us up at the Twice Over on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. All right, so here is myself, Fahad, and Yusuf, and our discussion on Inside Man. We are back with Fahad and Yusuf. We are discussing Inside Man, Spike Lee's film from 2006. Remember, this episode has spoilers. Oh, should we do this first? Why I recommended this film in the first place? Yes, please Go do. For it. Was it because right. of the song? Because the song is still in my head. <laughs> it's been 10 days since we did the. <laughs> I love the song, I like the plot. And it had a lot of witty dialogue, and it was just a fun movie for me. I think you also like Clive Owen a lot, right? I do, yeah. And Denzel's great. Christopher Plummer's great. There were so many good actors in this. And a lot of the good actors that we find to be good in 2020, they weren't necessarily as big in 2006, right? So there's, I'm going to butcher his name, but I'll go for it, Chiwetel Ejiofor. He's a big actor. William Defoe, I don't think was as big in 2006. And even Denzel, I feel, you know, he's he's done more more sophisticated roles over time, but he's also done a lot of kind of this genre of movie which is just kind of a fairly fast-paced plot movies. You know, he's done I just I feel like there's a whole slew of them like John Q and Training Day and um, Training Day yeah right he definitely has a he's definitely been typecast into that role right and I think he's grown out of it over time but this was you know before that wave kind of came where he did a little bit more carefully chosen roles I suppose right and he eventually sure. you know you guys are gonna have to help me out the Fences movie <laughs> the, what's it called isn't it called it's, Fences it's Fences oh it is called Fences jeez I was like I'm missing something uh, so 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 to me I lump this Denzel performance with the one the John Q because it came out pretty recently to this movie yeah and, and I think it, I think it definitely fits in terms of the, the roles he was doing back then so I mean I definitely agree that there's a lot of actors in this movie who maybe weren't considered to be of the caliber that they are now um, at the time of this movie uh, and he's one of them as well so you know I, I think it is a, a very strong cast but it may have not seemed like a strong cast back in 2004 uh, I think Denzel had it maybe not uh, Clive Owen I think Jodie Foster as well was well established she was, yeah, by definitely. 2006 that's a good point I think Denzel's biggest role that um, everyone agrees that he got gypped on is Malcolm X. That he didn't win an Oscar for that one. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's and that was what early nineties or mid nineties. But in any case, I think Clive Owen probably fits in that category because Clive Owen also had Children of Men the same year in two thousand six. So, and I think that's the movie that put him on the map. So yeah, Yusuf, did you like the movie choice, or were you like, uh, why the hell did he pick this movie for me? Uh, that's not quite the way I would put it. <laughs> but okay. uh, no, I mean, I think, uh, as, I, as I mentioned earlier, I think as well, initially, I was kind of like, yeah, I've seen that movie. I don't see what's so special about it. On the rewatch, I think I definitely did appreciate it uh, a decent amount more than I probably did the first time I watched this movie. Um, so uh-huh. there's definitely stuff that you can pick up in here, you know, and really appreciate from from a, a film goer's perspective. So I think I understand the choice in retrospect. But yeah, definitely when I first heard you mentioned this movie i was like eh but uh you know it it, kind of justifies itself i i certainly think um so you like clive owen a lot but did you think that he did a lot in this movie no like i was mentioning before like there isn't 
this huge dramatic acting range for his character. He's, uh-huh. al- he's always playing it cool. I mean, his acting's decent for what was called for. Oh, also, uh, another reason I chose this film. I think this is one of my favorite Spike Lee movies. Interesting. More than, like, yeah, more than Black Klansman and a couple other movies. Reason why is I think Spike Lee, uh, the tone of his movies doesn't always work. And here it works because it's a pretty easy movie to create, right? It's a, it's a crime movie that kind of turns into something more. But the tone, he nails it. So that's why I liked it more than his other movies. I'll admit, so I was going to ask you guys, this is our first uh, Spike Lee movie that we're reviewing mm-hmm. and what your guys' general perception of him is. I don't think he's that great. I do like some of his movies. I like Malcolm X, but I think that's more because of subject matter. Same. So I, I chalked it up to subject matter for that movie too. Uh, he got game I like, but again, is it because <laughs> basketball? Right. I don't know. Um, Ray Allen's in that. And then I've seen some of his older, like a really long time ago now. Like I couldn't even like probably give a, good analysis of why i thought or what i thought about it but like like we mentioned she's got to have it and do the right thing uh-huh. so 25th hour with uh with edward norton that's also a really good movie i haven't seen that one yeah check it out it's uh definitely slower paced um and it's different than most of his other movies and you've seen black clansman right oh yeah i've seen black clansman that's like I mean, he hasn't done uh, a lot in the more recent years, I feel like. So that's mm-hmm. like his last big one. Oh, no, he has... The Five Bloods on Netflix. Yeah. That movie is unwatchable. I went 20 movie, twenty minutes into it. And I was really? Like, no. Turn the shit off, yeah. Damn, it's oh, pretty man. long, too. Two and a half hours. I'm kind of a Spike Lee noob here. Um, so outside of this movie, which I had seen before, I've only seen Black Klansman. Uh, I don't think I've seen any other of his films, including Malcolm X. Oh, I've seen Chirac. Sorry, guys. That musical. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I, sorry. I need to hold the phone. I need to, we need to, we need to stop and we need to talk, guys. Um, Gotcha. There's a movie that I need to mention and Uh some people are going to get really upset. For us, I know you're a big fan of a movie called Old Boy. Oh, no. Uh, it's a Korean, well, the American version. The Korean one, right? It's a Korean film. And Faraz has recommended this movie to literally every person that I know that he also knows. He recommended it to me, too. Yeah, like back <laughs> well, a I know you. Ago. I know you, so I know he recommended it to you. Uh, and, and, that, and that's the thing. So yeah. Spike Lee, unfortunately, and Faraz is probably cringing right now, directed the American version of Old Boy, which is Total an abomination. Shit. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Why? Why must Americans remake good international movies, right? <laughs> Especially if they're not able to do it justice. I'm a little bit disappointed that that was Spike Lee. I I, I didn't know that ahead of time, but but wow. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. But you, you uh, like the original Korean version, Yusuf? I do. Uh, I like okay. the original version. Faraz, how can you have any respect for this man? <laughs> I'll chalk it up to a an issue by the producers or the studio forcing. Forcing their hand on him because mm, if I can bring I can bring up Avatar with M Night Shyamalan. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I mean, and and to be fair, I'm not a huge huge M Night. I I feel like M Night either either nails it or totally misses the mark. And I chalk, you know, he's he's never in between. So I'm 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 comfortable with that. But you are right. The, you know, Old Boy is one of the very few movies that Spike Lee didn't direct direct write and produce because that's kind of his thing he he does all of it mm-hmm. uh, and there's just a few mm-hmm. movies here and there where he he wasn't the writer he wasn't the producer and old boy is one of them he only directed that movie oh, okay yeah and again it was 
So, yeah. It was just a money grab by a studio that thought they could make money in the U.S. from a foreign movie. Sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Getting back to Inside Man, let's talk about the the plot a little bit. I want to know how you guys felt about the the plot overall, because to, I mean, to me, and I mean, we've had discussions mm-hmm. about this. You know, plot is something that. I think you cannot do without in a movie. It has to be good in order for the movie to be good because that is the main thing that people are watching. They're watching a story. Um, and I think we have mixed feelings about about that, about its importance. But how did you guys feel about this particular plot? So plot, right? I felt really good about it. It's a crime caper. And then it introduces some other things going on in the background, right? Like the whole idea of like the uh, the banker having worked with the Nazis and how the robber is going to uncover that, mm-hmm. right? You wouldn't expect a robber to be acting in like a, how would you call it, in a manner that's like beneficial to everyone? In, un, in an unselfish manner. What? Well, he does rob <laughs> like the diamonds, but I guess that is selfish, but you know, like the other stuff too. The greater good, man, the greater good. The greater good. Oh, yeah, I should have said that. What I do have a problem with the plot, especially towards the end, the execution isn't good. Like the whole revenge aspect of it the robber um holding the information against the banker that could have done that could have been done better like why is denzel exacting revenge on the part of like the robber who had more of a stake in it right did you find that to be true too i mean i just say that's that's because denzel is a cop uh with integrity and he wants to do the right thing when it comes to this Uh kind of stuff and it, it, it fell into his hands like midway into the movie we it's it the movie turns into a movie of two protagonists right so if you're given the choice of which one you want to follow up with the with the whole history of the banker i would have chosen clive owen's character to follow through with that mm. and, and part of it is also the fact that there is a lot of talk about again we talked about this kind of opportunism the what's his name mr uh case the 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 bank owner arthur case Case. there you go so you know he says that you know he's he basically found a you know a short path to to success and he took it uh and he knows that he you know basically committed war crimes right at the same time you know fraser does the you know equivalent of a a war crime albeit on on a smaller scale uh in the same way because he he takes this this deal uh that uh jodie foster's character offers him to Mm. basically fast track his career at what cost though do people get hurt as a result of him taking the deal yeah that's a good question um i suppose well does he know when he when he makes the deal does he know what's going to happen with the hostages not really i don't i don't think he does at the time yeah yeah he's still acting in the interest of the the hostages right i think definitely after that whole negotiation scene right because that happens early in the robbery denzel we see him like in a fit of rage because one that he thinks that one one of the hostages got shot. So he's clearly thinking about the hostages and getting them out and you know executing his copley duties properly. It was just interesting towards the end of the movie too, where they really did emphasize, especially after the heist is through, that uh-huh. you know Fraser is reaping the benefits of this deal. I was I was curious as to why that's emphasized so much when it does feel a little bit irrelevant, but you know, they, they kind of show him, you know, getting congratulated and taking his little, you know, his his framed plaque his home bows. and all of that. Um yeah. and, and, you know, getting his, you know, his uh his getting a diamond. Right. 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 So he he's got he's got a diamond and and all of that. So, you know, it, it just I, I guess it felt to me it felt circumstantial. Like it was irrelevant. Like 
he didn't necessarily work towards it because he didn't really change his behavior during the hostage situation, right? He just allowed Jodie Foster to go in. It might have, it could have backfired, right? Bringing in like a rando into a hostage, tense hostage negotiation, it could have backfired, uh, but we don't see the consequences of that. So I guess it kind of played out fine. I guess what it highlights is the intention behind uh, Denzel Washington's character's actions were still good-hearted. So he still reaped the benefits of the deal of getting promoted, of Clive Owen dropping the diamond in his pocket because he knew that he had a girlfriend that he really loved but did, uh, scared to get married because he couldn't afford mm-hmm. it, right? So, like, he's being rewarded because of his this being a good-hearted person, I guess. I don't know. And doing, doing the right thing, basically, in terms of outing Arthur Case for who he is, right? You know, he kind of carries out. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, I, I, really did, I really did feel like for a heist movie... The, the tension was highest as kind of the heist is, is wrapping up. And then they had kind of a good 15 to 20 minutes of, of the, you know, the post game. And it wasn't all that impressive to me because it was kind of this mixed bag of like, you know, what's what's Frazier up to and, and how are things going and marching into, you know, somebody's office and saying, look, you know, we found this ring and you need to you need to look into this guy. I mean, it seemed a little bit out of place. And on top of that, you know, wrapped up in all of that, they've already kind of deflated the the big twist of this movie, right? Because we already know exactly who Clive Owen is at that point and how he did what he did. And it's, you know, we just, we kind of get a, a moment to watch Frazier discover that, you know, the diamond in his pocket and realize, oh my God, the guy that I bumped into on my way out of the bank a week after the heist, that was him. That was him leaving the, the scene of the crime. But it, it doesn't hit the same way because we, we've known that for, you know, quite some time at this point yeah i would have liked to for denzel to have looked at the uh the ring with a giant diamond on it and to have gone through that discovery process of like figuring out oh okay it's associated with some family that died during uh the persecution by the nazis right and then like to make that whole discovery <laughs> how much time do you add it on, would have though? been safe it, it could have been done in a savoring way right maybe I, I feel like they already had a little bit too much fluff at the end uh, maybe that would have been more satisfying if they just yeah if they if they did that instead of a lot of the other stuff that they did. Mm-hmm. But I, I certainly feel like they needed a a neater way to kind of wrap up the events after the after the heist. And gotcha. it just yeah it felt a little bit flat for that reason. Also the whole thing I mean so we don't really know anything about Clive Owen's character in terms of why he did what he did. I mean he kind of says summarily at the end that you know i was really only in it for the money and then the only other thing that we get is that you know the rabbi or the you know maybe he's not even a rabbi they call him a rabbi but that's more of a derogatory term in in its use so but he's you know he's a jewish man he's wearing a yarmulke he's in the back of the car with you know the rest of the the team as clive owen is exiting the the bank so now we know that he was involved in it and i guess we can be led to believe that he's you know some descendant of the family that arthur case you know benefited Whose, whose expense Arthur Case benefited, oh, right? Yeah. And so we, we can kind of assume all of that, but we still don't know like what was going on and what their goal was. I guess they were trying to get back their diamonds, maybe. I actually never made that connection. I guess it's kind of cool that, you know, if you look back, he's in the bank before the heist even begins, and he's one of the guys that uh, gets slapped around by the, by the bank robbers, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, he was planted in there from the beginning, and, you know, he made a scene to make himself 
uh, one of the victims, right, to, to fit in with with the rest of the hostages. So I guess that's that's kind of cool. But I think we already knew that. There's there's ten examples of that in the movie, right? I was wondering like how they knew like, to go to Arthur Case's security deposit box and look for something. Like where did that information come from? But yeah, maybe it came from that rabbi. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, because it's clear that they're not just fishing for something, right? They, I mean, they go to Arthur Case's deposit box. Yeah, they did a purpose. Yeah, they they already know what they're going to find. You know, so mm-hmm. so, yeah, I mean, we, we don't get an explanation of where they got that, but they, they had to have had that all planned out ahead of time. And I, I guess that's our one clue as to to where it came from. Yeah. So we don't get to understand, like, the motivations of the robbers besides the f- obvious financial. Other than just, you know, yeah, money is money is the one thing that that he cared about. He does say respect is the ultimate currency, right? Kind of fits in with the other themes. Mm. Right. And I mean, that kind of mirrors what's going on on the the other side, because as you mentioned earlier, the the film, you know, starts demonstrating kind of the, you know, the diametric nature between victims of the, the, you know, the hostages and the the perpetrators of the crime. Right. So there's the robbers and there's the hostages. But then, you know, as the movie kind of unravels, you realize that they're kind of the same people and it's not really, you know, them versus each other. Rather, it's kind of the, the poor versus the rich or, you know, the privileged versus the, the non-privileged. Um, and so I, th- I think that's one other way they kind of show that, you know, like just as much as the rich are just concerned about respect and money, you know, that's kind of going on on the other side too, right? And so, you know, mm-hmm. we, we, we're led to believe like, you know, maybe he has some some other ulterior motive, something more important that he's after. And he's like, no, you know what? It, it really is just the money that I was after. That I, I think that was kind of a, a, a neat uh, parallelism. Sorry, that was Ziggy, right? That was the other part of the crew, Ziggy from The Wire. Oh my God, that was him. Yeah. Which which character? The really scrawny young kid who like was super loud. I mean, he's the same guy in, in The Wire. <laughs> hmm. He was uh, the youngest one, I guess, in, in their car. Oh, okay, okay, car. yeah, okay. The loud one that almost gets uh, people killed, supposedly, right? In the bank. Yeah. That dude. I actually like that part of the movie quite a bit in terms of the story, how they slowly introduced who was part of the hostage crowd and was actually part of the crime itself. Yeah, yeah. I found that to be inventive. Because they, they kind of did it piecemeal. They didn't just like reveal it at once. Uh-huh. I mean, I, I like how they did that. That was good uh, direction. And a smart move by the robbers. On that note, I think uh, there was definitely something stood out to me was was just how how significant some of the you know the racial political themes in this movie were compared to uh, probably the first time I watched it. it it stuck out a lot to me now and you know maybe that has to do with kind of just the current political climate but but there was a lot of effort put into you know, making the cops seem a little bit overly aggressive and they they really don't know who they're pointing the guns at and so they treat everyone mm-hmm. like like a criminal, right? And so 50 hostages come out and they know there's, you know, four or five criminals among the 50 hostages. And, you know, their reaction is to kind of treat everyone with brute force, right? And so uh, I, I, that's not a mistake on Spike Lee's part, right? I mean, he, he made this movie back in 2004. Six. 2006, sorry. Yeah, and, I, you know, maybe, maybe that, that sentiment is a little bit louder now, but, you know, clearly that was an intentional move by him, right? I don't know if you guys noticed that, but I, I think there was a lot of scenes like that where, you know, all of the interrogation scenes, you know, uh, they're mm-hmm. being overly harsh with a lot of these people, knowing fully well that, you know, a large majority of the people they're dealing with are, are, are innocent. you know, innocent and not only innocent, but they're victims of what's going on. Right. So, yeah, well, it's a compli- it's complicated, right? He had to have been harsh. What what's the alternative? Let them all go. Right. Of course. Of course not. It's a more complicated question than that. But yeah. um, it's a balancing act of, you know, uh, of people's rights and dignity and all of that versus sure. kind of solving the crime. And again, 
the only thing that was really at stake here was money. You know, that that's kind of that mm-hmm. what you're sacrificing in order to, you know, protect that money is kind of is kind of maybe out of proportion to what you're giving up to do it, I suppose. Okay. And this also falls into what Fahad mentioned earlier. This is post 9-11 New York City, where let's just say perception for the police and uh, respect for the New York's finest is probably at like an all time mm-hmm. high for general US population. Mm-hmm. So like this is going on while I mean, obviously, Spike Lee's probably for sure trying to play into that commentary quite a bit with the way he's displaying how they're acting. And even if it might be right from a police perspective, like, oh, they need to treat everyone as if they are the criminal just in case. But there's still a little bit of brute force, um, a little bit of harshness. And then in terms of just their general language too, like we have that one conversation with the, the first cop that calls in the robbery who, who like is clearly racist what does he say like i'd rather be an old bigot than a be dead. a dead young man a, a, hand, a handsome a handsome dead man yeah something like that so yeah handsome dead man okay like, yeah. so i was like i mean he he clearly wanted to show that there's still some issues within the yeah. police department I mean, he clearly shows the corruption within it as well denzel's reaction to him saying that it wasn't severe it was just like okay i understand where you're coming from and he just kind of like wait dismissed it which was interesting. Well, he didn't dismiss it. He does stop it. No, no, no. He stopped some other racist remark. He's like, can you please stop using this term because it's racist? But then... It, the color commentary. The color commentary, exactly. But then, but then the whole thing about I'd rather be uh, I'd rather be alive than a... Oh, yeah. He just laughs it off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He doesn't seem to have a reaction to it. Well, because he's, he's still a cop, right? I, I think there's the two main detectives that we deal with. They're both African-American, right? And so, uh, you know, there's... And they're clearly not totally separated from that culture. I think I think that's a that's a point that get that gets made too, that they're part of the system, they know how it works and and they work within it to a large degree. I think that was kind of a reflection of that concept, right? Where, you know, he he does internally object to a lot of the, the racial remarks and you know he cuts him off saying one racial slur and then the guy almost slips in another racial slur before the sentence is even through. <laughs> but at the same time, Denzel's character clearly understands what he where he's coming from to a degree um and and you know he he doesn't really lash out against him for saying that you know about the, the yeah. fact that he he's fine with being a bigot because it keeps him safe so i just i for to me i just justified his non-reaction as denzel being thick-skinned like he's seen worse before so he doesn't care at this point he's just he's hardened he's all, he's only got his eyes on the prize which is like furthering his career moving up the ladder right making first grade detective and whatnot mm-hmm. we didn't even mention that william defoe is also in this movie and he's also a great actor yeah he is a great actor he's good i was actually just about to mention him uh only to say that you know that's not the only conversation where we get those kind of sentiments because i was just remembering there's a you know there's a scene a little bit earlier where willem defoe says something to the do you remember that incident with those ragheads at the olympics or something like that right and so you know Mm. there's a lot of you know there's a lot of derogatory terms for a lot of different groups of people dropped into this thing. Yeah, Russians, Albanians. <laughs> uh, Denzel's character cannot tell the difference between uh, Armenian and Albanian, right? So uh, when when one of the guys says, no, I'm Armenian, he's like, isn't that, what's the difference? You know, isn't that Albanian? Uh, because, you know, Albanian <laughs> was, was relevant because that was... Uh, the voices they were hearing, the language they were hearing on the on the um, on the wire that they had placed, right? And um, 
turned out to be kind of a recording. But, you know, all of that is going on where there's all these different cultures, you know, that's whatever, the melting pot of New York, right? And it's, uh, no, a lot of these different groups don't seem to understand each other. Or maybe they do, but the, the cops, even though they have racial backgrounds of their own, don't seem to see themselves as part of that ecosystem, right? They see themselves as a separate unit. Uh, I think that was made very clear. I would kind of push back on that. I think the, the, the way the film portrays the cops, it aligns them with like the guy on the street, the construction worker, uh, the translator. I guess because the film paints with broad strokes, it's like the working class versus the rich again. It doesn't seem like there's much criticism of the cops outside of that first incident where they abuse the seat guy with the, yeah, with the turban. I think you're right that it's not really outward criticism, but I mean, again, it's it's signature Spike Lee where he's kind of dropping in these little remarks, you know, that, that could be brushed aside, but they're definitely there for you to catch. So I, I mean, I think they're, you know, they're, they're fairly subtle. They're not really important to the overall story or anything like that, but, but they're there because I feel like mm-hmm. every character that we come into contact with is a little bit nervous to be around the cops because even that construction worker he's as soon as they make him come you know behind the the police barrier he's like what the hell am i doing here and uh he keeps asking like am i under arrest or what's going on can i go (laughs) like you know he doesn't really want to be involved and he's he's kind of regretting that he was involved um so yeah i mean of course the the vikram walia scene (laughs) i don't know why i love how he kept saying his full name every time they asked him who he was he's like i'm vikram walia i'm vikram walia uh but i mean they they beat him down for almost no reason right he's being totally cooperative and then they just they they just start cracking him right so that was intentional by Spike Lee to put those scenes in there. It's not really outward criticism, I, I suppose, though. It's subtle, and that's how he's that's how he wants it done. I guess you can't get away with much criticism of the cops in that environment, right? Post 9-11. He has to like, make it as subtle as possible, but still put in the commentary somehow, and he does it pretty well. Yeah, I agree. Also, I wanted to mention, like, all the characters in this movie, most of the characters at least, they're so ballsy. Like, they're all going after, like, their own interests despite, like, the circumstances like you have Madeline, right? Even though she's uh, her clients are their case, this rich and powerful dude, she like sticks it to him when she needs information and like she's not afraid to go toe to toe. And then there's like Denzel's character who's like who, towards the end like goes toe to toe with Arthur Case once too, right? Showing him that he's discovered uh, the background of the ring. Yeah, the characters in this movie are great. Maybe it's just a New Yorker thing. Cause even the hostages themselves are kind of. Like, when they're being questioned by the police and stuff, other than, like, the old lady, the grandma, like, they're all pretty uh, uh-huh. straightforward and, like, they, they quit back at the at the cops when they get pushed. Yeah. I really like Spike Lee's um, use of tracking shots. He really doesn't like to stick with, like, a stationary camera, like, ever. His shots are always moving, especially during conversations. Mm-hmm. And he does a good job of not just, like, circling around, but going up and down and, like, really setting you in the scene where it's happening. And I thought the night shots in the bank were, like, really well done and they looked really good. Like, with the lights coming in from the outside and the kind of smokiness in the bank. A lot of a lot of the shots were framed very well, especially with, like, the vault in the back. Gotcha. But the music, the music was rough, man. Aesthetic the music score. Was rough. <laughs> even the use it's of it's a good thing I didn't notice it. Even much. the use of the ringtone was what Kanye West's uh, "Gold Digger." <laughs> I mean, that's yeah, that's, that's funny. funny. Sure, it's fine, <laughs> but like it, every turn he had a chance to use music, it was overly done. That's all. It was loud. It was really loud. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I think we're good. Yeah, I think we're good. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll be back next week. See you guys. Peace. Thanks for listening to this production of The Twice Over. If you haven't already, subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcast, And remember to support us on Patreon or by sharing the podcast with a friend. 
Feel free to contact us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at The Twice Over, or email us at comments at thetwiceover.com. All of the music you heard is from Amerigo Gasway. Check him out on Bandcamp and Spotify.